You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Tom Okarma. He's a nonprofit author, coach, and leadership consultant. Tom, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Tom, can you tell us a little bit about what you do for nonprofits uh, and how you got your start in this industry? Um, I'd love to hear kind of your story of, of being a, a former CEO turned nonprofit coach. Sure. I, I had been the CEO of a specialty insurance company, about 300 employees, and it and its sister companies were acquired, and I couldn't find the next CEO job. So after a period of time of looking, I started volunteering in a food pantry, a food pantry, clothing closet. Uh, they had several programs in the social service area and really enjoyed it. And I came to realize that all I was doing was working to help post good numbers every quarter and that there were all these people out there who really needed some help. So one thing led to another. I ended up on this board, on the board of this nonprofit, ended up their board chair. And said, well, maybe this is where I should be spending my time, taking what I've learned in the business world and helping nonprofits do better. I would not be a good uh, uh, guidance counselor or case manager, but I can help them run the organization so that those people can be out there and do their job and help in those populations that that need their services. And then how, what was the transition like from working with that the food? Well, I got introduced... To- I got introduced to a organization called the Barnabas Group by a friend of mine. Okay. And the Barnabas Group, uh, if anybody doesn't know, the Barnabas Group is a place where marketplace leaders meet ministry needs. So ministries would come to us quarterly and explain what issues they've got going on, what kind of problems, and they could ask for anything but money. And I started helping the leaders there with, board issues, with leadership issues, with strategic planning. And I, I, I loved it. I fell in love with it. And I felt maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing, that all my business life was just preparation to help these ministries do better at doing good. And then I, I came across a couple of books like Second Win for the Second Half and From Success to Significance. And it's like everything was pointing towards no more insurance, you're going to help these nonprofits. And so I just, that's what I went with. And I'm so glad I did. That's awesome. So what was, what was kind of the first couple of clients? What did that look like for you as you developed this new, essentially new business for yourself? Sure. They were uh, small nonprofits with boards that were uh, hands-on. They'd be rolling up their sleeves and uh, stuffing envelopes and you know whatever needed to be done. The boards usually were comprised of the spouse of the founder. Sometimes it was a founder, and and their best friend. Sometimes a relative. So I got to see what that was like. Um, I was fortunate to be sitting on a very good board, about two and a half million dollars in revenue and another million in in uh, in kind gifts. 
they were a little more strategic. So I got to see both worlds. And mm-hmm. from that, I was able to create the, the tools and the messages that I have for how to, how to have a successful nonprofit. But they were all little ones because those are the ones that would let me in the door. You know, I was from the insurance industry. All right. A lot of the nonprofits didn't know me from anyone. But then word got around a little bit that I was practical and I wasn't looking to just, uh, you know, turn profits every year. But I was yeah. looking to help their clients. That was a that was a leap I had to make, and it took time for people to not be afraid that I was just trying to improve their finances. I really wanted to help them do better with their with their clients. Right, and and as you've developed the company, what have been some of the hardest lessons you've learned working with nonprofits? Like, what are some of the similarities and and maybe differences you see between? Uh, your experience in the for-profit space and then the nonprofit world from a, from that business perspective? Well, you know, I wrote a blog a long time ago or probably two, 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 two or two and a half years ago that said leadership in a nonprofit world is much more difficult than in a for-profit world because you have so many people in the nonprofit world, so many people with an emotional ownership in the organization. Mm-hmm. They, they don't own shares of stock or what have you, but they believe in the cause they're putting up their time and their talents and a lot of times their treasure to help the, the population that's to be served. And so, so change can be hard and accountability can be a difficult thing. And I found that a little bit difficult to deal with when there's board people that weren't delivering what they said they were going to or some staff that could be doing better. That, that, that's where I learned a little bit about patience, where you just have to go with it and work, work those issues over time, uh, which I did. Uh, to me, accountability is something important, uh, partly because the foundations and those that are the donors that are supporting the ministries, they have certain expectations and you want to be able to paint a good picture for them that you're using their, their money or their, their gifts wisely. And so that was a little bit hard for me to figure out how to, uh, how, how to do that. And, uh, uh, once I got beyond that, and just let go of worrying about it. I was able to help in those areas I could help. And that sort of helped raise, raise the bar for everybody. Mm. So you found that there's within the nonprofit sector, a more than a financial um, skin in the game. There was this like heart felt um, a, a, a deeper heart investment in, in the work that was being done. Exactly. Some of the people that were volunteers or employees Either they or their family members or friends had taken advantage of that service at some time, whether it was a food pantry or job assistance or clothing or, you know, name it, you know, you name it, housing. And so this was very personal for them, where people in the insurance industry, you know, the company I was with, we had a pretty committed group. It was a specialty niche business, but it was still a business um, where some of the, a lot of the volunteers and staff had been part of the organization that had taken advantage of it. So there was definitely a, a different kind of a calling that they felt. Yeah. So what are some tangible things that you coach and consult on for ministry leaders in navigating that deeper heartfelt investment in the, in the nonprofit sector? Well, I, I try to show them without forcing it down their throats. I show, try to show them other ways to do things so that they can deliver more to their clients. I bring it all back to their clients they're trying to serve, whether it's a teen mom or a vet or a homeless person or what have you. It's 
here are my thoughts on what we can do in order to serve them better. And I'll lay them out and I'll break it down into small pieces rather than a big change being made overnight. You do it over a period of time. As you get some small wins, then the people start accepting the fact that I'm not there to disrupt. I'm there to help them have a better outcome. To me, it's about impact and outcome, not just going there every day and working hard, but how many people are you helping get off on their own? How many people you help getting their own job, getting standing on their own two feet or, you know, whatever the case is. Hmm. Now, offline, you shared that you help organizations increase their impact by specifically by developing and strengthening their boards. Um, Walk us through some of the high level bullet points that can bring organizations success in their board development. Well, I, I, I think I believe everything starts at the top and, while it's okay to have several friends on your board when you're getting it started, because you need people that you can trust and that trust you and you can rely on, eventually yeah. you need a board that can help you achieve the mission. And if your mission is eliminating hunger or, or transforming souls for Christ, then you need to come up with a strategic plan that will help get there and then populate your board with people that have certain skills or connections or competencies to help you do that. So, so for instance, it might be nice for me to start up a ministry and have five friends, including my wife say on the board, that that's great. But if I want to eliminate hunger in the County I'm living in, well, I need to get people on the board that can help me do that in different ways. Maybe somebody who's a a storm, a storm manager, maybe someone who has uh, SEO marketing, branding skills that can help me get the word out, you know, that kind of thing. If I'm working with youth, maybe I need someone that can help me engage them on Facebook or whatever media that, that they're using. So the board isn't just their governing, which they are, they're the scorekeeper, but they're also making connections for me. And sometimes it's not money. Sometimes it's other things that they bring that are helpful, that can open some doors or, or help achieve a goal. So it's important to have the right people that help you uh, fill the gap from where you're at to where you want to go. Hmm. What would you say to organizations that maybe want to restructure their board? They, they're they a small organization. They've started with those friends and family type board and, and they want to move to um, develop a board that's a, a little bit more strategically set up and developed. What, what should they be looking for when they're building a, a new board of directors? Well, first I would say you want to make sure that it's not just a training problem. A lot of times new board members come on and they had no orientation. They really, they they love the the ministry, but they don't know what their job is, let alone the legal responsibilities of a board member. So sometimes you can bridge part of that gap by explaining what you do, how you do it and where you want to go. Um, if, If the people are kind of locked into that, entry-level stage ministry only, and they're not people you can grow with, then you want to start looking for others that can bring on who have bigger ideas, who can help you project to go out two, three, four years. And as you bring a couple of those people on, some of your original board members will either step up and start thinking more strategic, or they'll decide, you know, this has been fun for a few years, but this is going a direction I'm not real comfortable with, or I don't really understand, or what, you know, the season is over for them. So you, you upgrade your board for where you want to go 
over a period of time. You can't do it overnight. Right. Now, do you find that it's it's helpful to encourage organizations to have their board members be on the board for longer periods of time so that they can see um, the development of the organization over a larger period of time? Or, or do you encourage them to stick to like one year, 10 years type thing? No, I think, I'd say, first of all, I like to have them invite board candidates who they know, maybe if they've done a little volunteering as well, although you know, a good volunteer doesn't necessarily make them a good board member. But I think you get people on, on serve on a board committee, give them a chance to work with the board, see how they fit. And then you put them on and you put them on for a period of time. Uh, you know, I, I like three-year terms. The first six months, you're just learning, trying to figure things out. It yeah. takes a while to get competent on the board and know how things get done. Um, so two, three-year terms, makes a lot of sense and then usually you, you step off for a while um that's that's kind of what i prefer i also think an idea of having a mentor board member connect with a new board member so the new person can ask questions in private and not feel embarrassed or afraid to ask questions in general i think that's real helpful i also think a place boards can improve is by having a good orientation program a good onboarding system and it doesn't have to be sophisticated, but just talking about the strategic plan, talking about expectations. So some people get invited onto a board. They have no idea how many meetings they're going to be. They have no idea if there's a give or get requirement uh, or, or if they're going to have a role in a gala or some other fundraiser. So I think being as open as possible so the person understands what, what they're getting into is helpful because then, then the person's coming on with their eyes wide open. One other suggestion I would make is is by having a one-year probationary period. So your first three-year term, the first year is probationary, and at the end of the year, you sit down with the individual and you see how it's going. You know, Maybe their life situation's changed. Maybe they're just not enjoying it. This is an easy way, an, an easy off-ramp if, if it's not working out for the ministry or if it's not working out for the individual. There's no harm, no foul. If it's working out, well, then, then you go full speed ahead. But it gives everybody permission to say, "I don't think this is for me." Mm. So you would you would encourage that over maybe something like a, a an ed, ed advisory board that is set up maybe to test somebody out before they get invited onto the official board. Yes, I think the best way to test them out is put them on a board committee that a board member is chairing and see how they work. See, I've been on a couple of advisory boards and. They're, uh, they're they're too passive for me. You don't really have any skin in mm. the game. Uh, where board members are making decisions and, and voting, yeah, for something that's a real impact. Where advisory, you know, you're hearing information secondhand or later, and usually you're affirming what the CEO or the board chair wants to do. So I would I would handle it differently. Gotcha. Plus, there's some people who don't don't want to sit through a lot of meetings that they don't really have any authority on. You know, good board members, they don't want to sit there and waste their time. You know, Put me on a committee where I can have input or put me on the board where I can help make things happen. But an advisory board, you're just given it, you know, pick up the phone and call me if you want my advice. I don't need to go to board meetings to, or advisory meetings to share my ideas. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And now how do you, how do you encourage organizations to 
maybe empower and, and initiate their boards when they are usually made up of volunteers? Like, what does that process look like as you walk organizations through that? Well, I think it starts at the beginning when you're recruiting them onto the board. You're explaining what's required. You're letting them know up front uh, so that they can they can go there with, with their eyes open, as I said earlier. And then if they're not quite as engaged as they need to be or doing what they should, then it's easier to pull them aside. It, it, like dealing with an employee who's not quite performing. You pull them aside and say, look, when we brought you on, we talked about this and this is something I need you to to help with. Let's say you bring someone on and they're going to be the CPA and they're late with the numbers or the numbers aren't always correct or their explanations aren't real clear to the rest of the board. You pull them aside and you rehab them and just let them know they're not quite hitting the mark. And and then then people appreciate that. And the earlier you do it, the better. Because then they get embarrassed if they're doing something for months and months and then they find out that it's all been a waste of time. So I think you pull them aside. If some are a little rough on the edges or getting personal with individuals rather than focusing on the issue instead of the person. I think you pull them aside up front and just let them know, Hey, we want to, you know, we're all in this together and we need you to stay on the issue. Don't attack the person or we love your ideas. That's why we brought you here and we want you to hear, we want to hear from you. So don't be bashful. Don't worry about the ones that have been here forever. Uh, You you're here because we value your wisdom. So speak up. Those are the ways I would, I would try to get them more engaged. Mm. Now, do you encourage your clients' boards to fundraise for their organizations? Well, I I do, but I also recognize that some people are just not wired that way. Uh, you know, some people are good selling; others are good at taking orders over the phone. And for me, um, I, I I tell the boards. It is very powerful for a volunteer, board member or whatever, to go before someone and ask them to help the ministry. You know, a, a director of development or a CEO, that they're paid, that's their job. And it's important because they're usually the face of the organization. But mm-hmm. if you bring a board member or two to a Lions Club or some uh, you know, community service group to talk about why this ministry is important to them, why they donate their time and their money, and why they're so uh, so much behind it, that is a very powerful impact, which can help with fundraising. But some people just don't like to ask for money or ask their friends for money. So what I do is I, I have a ladder that I suggested is just have somebody pick up the phone, a board member, just have them pick up the phone and call and thank someone for a donation. Um, uh, usually you're just leaving a voicemail anyway, or maybe you write thank you notes, or maybe you go with the, the CEO executive director to other events and you're, you're just there. You don't have a speaking part. So you kind of work your way up to where you're inviting your friends over to your house to hear somebody talk about the ministry. So there's different levels and you know, you want people to succeed. It's like baseball. You put the person in the best position for them to be successful. Some can make the big ask. Some are really good at handling the paperwork. So you you do that. Mm -hmm. Set them up for success with with in the skill sets that they have, right? And if you're looking for people to make big asks and open doors, well, then you should be recruiting them to become on the board in the first place. You know, you can create a little checklist for yourself of what you feel you need from the board, um, and then you, if you have some gaps there, 
of what the checklists are and who you, what you have on the board. Then you go out and you look for people who have access to philanthropic minded people or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. But if you try to ask somebody to do something they're just not comfortable with, they're going to fail at it and it's going to look bad for them and for the ministry. Yeah. Um, transitioning a little bit, how do you encourage boards to, to stay innovative and um, specifically maybe in the, the marketing realm? Uh, we see a lot of boards are um, maybe timid to try new things and, and, be innovative in their marketing approaches and, and shift with things that are changing in the digital space. How do you encourage boards to um, be up to date and innovative in those spaces? Well, I talk about, I talk about the next generation of donors and volunteers. I ask them, what are you doing to engage the next group of people who don't like to go to galas, don't want to go to fancy dinners downtown but they have a heart for your ministry and they'll often say nothing or some will say they've got a, 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 a junior board. Um, so I encourage them to think about marketing to the next generation of supporters. And that means maybe putting one of them on the board, maybe having a, a junior board to help run events for the younger people. It gets them thinking differently other than the track that they've been on. Because you know, as you know, you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you get. So you right. have to shift. And, and when, I, when I talk about the next generation of donors, that usually gets the ministry's attention that, yes, we can't keep relying on those that have been so good to us um, because they're going to they're gonna be going away eventually. And we need to start planting seeds for the next group, for volunteers, for employees, for, um, for, for donors. And so that gets them thinking. We need to bring some other people in and help us think without throwing out all that's work. It's, it's like another pathway you're creating to support the organization. Yeah. And now offline, you shared a, a topic um, of proper development and execution of a, of a strategic plan. Um, what are some of the maybe high level things that you teach around strategic plan development that could provide uh, value to ministry leaders? Well, I, I would say this, a lot of organizations, faith-based, secular, for-profit, not-for-profit, limit themselves when they're thinking about strategic planning. Too often, the strategic planning is it's very incremental. It's almost more tactical. It's doing what we did the last year, only trying to do 5% better. That's not very bold, not very exciting. And it, it could get in the way of recruiting some really top-shelf uh, staff or, or board members if they see that it's kind of a boring road that you're headed on. So what I encourage them to do is think hard about where do you want to see the organizations three years from now? What do you want to see it doing? And don't limit yourself by whatever's going on in the current marketplace. The example I use is, um, is, is take a young boy who wants to become the next Tom Brady. And he's got Brady pictures all over his, his uh, posters all over his bedroom. And he's eating what Brady eats. And he goes to the Tom Brady quarterback camps and he's reading everything he can, and he's exercising like Brady does because nothing's going to get in the way. He's going to be the next Brady. And that's the way I think nonprofits should look is where do you think your population, what are they going to need three to four years from now? And don't use today's tough environment or the tough economy to hold you back. 
but say, where we're going, this is where I'm headed and I'm going to get there. So think boldly and, and a little bit on the edge. Now you want to be careful. You don't place financial bets that could you know, sink the system, but you want to think more than just how do we do what we're doing a little bit better? And to me, that's exciting. That's where you bring in some people onto the board who are not yes people, but, but they they have wisdom and they're team players and they'll stretch you a little bit and make you a little uncomfortable, but that's how you grow. That's how you are still in existence three to four years from now. It's a little incremental move organizations that sometimes don't make it because things change and they haven't changed with them. So that, mm. that's at the top of my head. That's what I would, I would say. The other thing is once you've got a plan, board meeting agendas should contain the key elements of your strategic plan for reports, for updates. Um, because if you don't keep going back to what do we say we want to get done, it's not going to get done. And when you've got a set of metrics and you're bringing it up periodically, then people stay focused. Oh, I guess this is important because Tom keeps bringing it up every time we get together. So So you would encourage maybe to build out strategic plans that um, might have goals that are maybe out of reach a little bit. To, to try to stretch the the nonprofit or the ministry to pursue something bigger than just, hey, let's, you know, see if we can't grow by 5% this year. Right. A little, little bit of stretch goal is good. You know, I'm not talking about being foolish, but right. um, but maybe you're, you're, you're uh, maybe you need to take a look at your, your uh, population that you're serving and, and see where they're at. Because if you're serving your poppy, the client's, Whatever niche you're in, if you're serving them today the same way you did five or six years ago, you may be out of step with what they need. So maybe you take six months and, and look at your clients. What do they need to be successful? And you do some reprogramming to get there. That's that's exciting. That's more rewarding. And it, uh, it, it helps underscore what success is in your ministry. Mm. Looking for opportunities to maybe change your strategies that um, set up sustainability within your beneficiaries rather than always relying on whatever your organization has done historically that may be more focused on like a handout mentality? Well, that's a, a, that, that's a great example. Another one is there may be a ministry in your town or nearby that does something really well and they're doing it better than you do in one of your programs. Maybe you collaborate with that ministry, let them do that. And maybe you take on something that they're doing not so well. You know, if, if that, that's I'm a little bit perfect world-ish. But if there's something that someone does better than you do, maybe you collaborate with them and send your clients over there for that piece rather mm-hmm. than duplicating. I, I, I've sat as a board member with big donors come in and say, well, why am I sending this money to you? You're working social service and people that are living kind of on the edge of their paycheck or out of work. And these guys here in the next town over, they're doing the same thing. Why am I sending money to both of you guys? Why are you different? And if you could talk about collaboration, that's something that a business person or a donor can understand is I'm not just paying for two B-level programs. I'm making a donation to an A-plus level program over here and an A-plus program over there, which work together, but they don't overlap. that's That's a compelling ask. Uh, from my standpoint, yeah, that, the idea of ministry partnership is is a trending topic in in the ministry space, and 
Um, I, th- I think for good reason, there's a lot of opportunity, I think, in, in partnership with ministries um, that is not yet being taken advantage of like it could be. And, you know, looking at what the possibilities could be if ministries would partner with other organizations that are good at what they do um, and folk and, and the ministry focus on what it, they are best at. Um, I, th- I think there's a lot of exciting potential within that. And, and the ministry space needs to be having some more conversations around what partnership could look like. And I think it can be done in a non-threatening way. It's just a matter of what's best for the client. What mm-hmm. does the client need? And, and, and a, a, another question I'll ask boards, but it, it applies in your scenario here, is if we were starting our ministry today, brand new, would we offer this program or would we not? Well, if I were starting this program, if I were starting this ministry today, I could look across the street and say, well, they do a much better job at X. So we're not going to do that. We'll just let them do it there. That way you stay fresh and mm-hmm. and relevant to your clients. What do you think are maybe some of the roadblocks you find most prevalent um when it comes to developing a strategic plan, like why do you, why do you think some organizations just struggle um, so often to build out a, a well-developed plan? Well, one of the big problems I've seen is just carving out enough time to have one to, uh, you know, to get a half a day on a Saturday is, is a big ask for some organizations. And yet it, it takes time to do it. So yes, they're volunteers, but I think, to, to sit down every other year for a day, a full day, I don't think that's too much to ask. That's a big deal. The other thing is a lot of people don't think strategic. They think very tactical. And you need some of that. But a lot of people, they want something much more tangible uh, to deal with. Uh, or, or today, the way the environment we're in now, they they say, we really can't project what's going to happen. Let's just make sure we're meeting payroll here in the next couple of weeks. And let's keep food on the pantry shelves and and whatever. But um, I personally like to work in that strategic level because it's exciting to me. And if you're going to be recruiting new board members or recruiting big donors, other donors, you need to paint an exciting picture of the future and, and, and visions where they can see you're really out there working to help your client base, not just maintaining your status quo. That, that won't get the, the extra bucks that an innovative, uh, forward-thinking ministry can get. Hmm. How many times do you think a, a ministry should be revisiting and, and looking at their strategic plan, um, maybe throughout the year, every year, you know, multiple times a year? What does that kind of look like? Well, I, I, I think I don't think you have to have a strategic plan every year. I think you have a plan, a major plan, and like an all-day meeting, let's say. Maybe that's every other or every third year. But you have your your leadership team looking at it. You have the board monitoring it. And if some shift, some black swan event comes out of the blue, changing everything, then you got to get together and rethink things. Otherwise, you 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 maybe just tweak the plan here and there. Some assumptions you made didn't quite work out. So an A item becomes a B item, and a B item becomes a, an A item. But I think to really go in depth, I, I, that takes a lot of work, and I think that's like in every second or every probably every third year. I wouldn't go out any farther than three years, but I do think it takes time, and, and, and I think you ought to try and capture whatever data you can, data on the population, the, the demographics of your population, 
the situation, the, the people you're serving, what's the, what are they in? And the more data you've got to help you make decisions, the, the more informed your decisions will be as to where you want to go. Uh, can Do you have any stories that you can share of maybe, maybe a story or two of ministry clients you have worked with that have uh, restructured their boards and, and developed the strategic plan, plans you've helped them lay out that resulted in like financial success and causal impact? Sure. There, there's one that um, I worked with uh, last fall and as early as recently as January. And they had three people on the board and they had a major funder. He was writing big checks, a foundation. And they were doing great things at some of the things they were doing, but they were doing too many. And they were the kind of people that just didn't want to say no. And if something mm-hmm. was a half a mark away from their, their prime, they, they would take it. And then something else would come along and that was another half a mark away from half a mark away. So talk about mission creep. They were experiencing it. So we sat down. I sat down with the three of them and we spent uh, actually about a day and a half with a whiteboard and flip charts and figured out, we went to their vision statement, went to their mission statement. They tweaked it some and they all three got clarity on based on today, what they should be doing today to advance their cause. And from that, one of the things that came out is they realized we need more board members that can help us do things that we can't do. So I got to facilitate a session once they identified and recruited some more board members. And so they've got a, um, a very good marketing person on the board now. It's a very hands-on board. And they've got a couple of people that are, are on staff at two of the fairly good-sized churches in town who can bring volunteers and bring resources and bring connections. So now they're much more robust, and yet they've got a written plan for where they want to go. So it's a bigger team with more competencies on the team. And with a written plan, they when someone approaches them with something that's kind of out in the left field – they can say, you know, our, our board won't let me do that. That's not what we're here to do. But mm-hmm. I can put you in touch with someone else who can help you. They were just getting so deluded because of their big hearts and wanting to serve the community that they weren't doing a good job at what they were good at. So now they're much more focused. And, uh, and I know the funder's happy. He's been much more supportive of them and encouraging because he's saying that they're focused, like businesses, you know, everybody's to be successful, you got to be more focused and they're measuring yeah. well, before they weren't really measuring. They were just feeling good, you know, when they got done. So they zeroed in on a, on their specific niche and, and the thing that they are best at and got rid of the baggage and the things that they were saying yes to, but maybe weren't good at and um, have seen a lot of success out of that. Yeah. They, they just needed to have permission to say, that's not really our strong suit. So rather than just know, Say, I don't think we'll do a good job for you because here are the things we're working on. Let's find someone else who can do that for you. And at the end of the day, you know, if you're looking for help with something and you talk to somebody, if they're not good at it, you you want them to tell you. They're doing you a favor by saying, that's not me, but I'll help you find someone. Right. That, mm. That's a true friend. Yeah. Well, Tom, this has been, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate this. Can I... Um... Can I pray for you and your company? Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Father, I just lift up Tom. I thank you so much for his heart and his willingness to come alongside uh, ministries and nonprofits and help them 
develop strategic plans and and develop their boards better to be more effective. Uh, I pray that you would just use Tom for for your glory, uh, use him for uh, building up the ministries that he is serving and and making them more uh, effective in what they do. Father, I thank you so much for his heart and and his um, willingness to say yes to support ministries and and use his talents for. Um, for organizations that are doing amazing work, Lord. Thank you so much for uh, for this time. I pray that it would provide value to ministry leaders, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Tom, if people want to get a hold of you and learn more about you and your company and what you could do for their ministry, how can they do so? Well, two ways. Um, I have a website, tomokarma.com. It's O-K-A-R-M-A, tomokarma.com. Uh, or they can call me at 630 630- Three nine four, four three zero one. I have a lot of blogs and some free tools and downloads on the website that they're welcome to check out and and take and use them. That's Perfect. what they're for. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. We really appreciate it, and uh, wish you the best as you continue to help ministries and nonprofits. Oh, thank you for that. I enjoyed our time together. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, We would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at ReliantCreative.org. See you next time.